All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We are ready for uh, Matthew chapter 8. So last week we finished the, the most famous teaching and sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus taught so eloquently. Look at chapter 7 and verse number 29. What does it say there? It says, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So the, the thing that, that it's in conclusion. Now, the greatest sermon ever given, three chapters of words in red, Jesus teaching the people radically with these radical changes. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart for her, you've committed adultery already. You have heard it said of old, do not commit murder. But I say to you that if you even hate your brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder already, right? These radical statements that Jesus makes all through the Sermon on the Mount. And the conclusion in the very last verse of chapter 7, before we get to 8 today, is that he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So the reaction of Jesus's day from the scribes and the Pharisees and the, the multitude of crowd, your average everyday Joes like you and I that were there listening, they said, man, that something is different about this guy. Amen. They recognized that when they went to synagogue, when they went to church on Sundays, on Saturdays, actually, right on, on Sabbath, when they went that, that the, 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 bishops, the, what were they called? The priests of the day, you know, that were teaching in the synagogues, the rabbis, they, they would teach, but it would be like, maybe more like how I sound like, you know, and um, this particular view of this is this, and this person thinks this, and you know, this is what I think, but you make your own opinion. And, um, you know, I think it's, 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 this is what this means, but, you know, but when Jesus taught, or sometimes I'll say, you know, Pastor John says it this way and Pastor Gerald says it this way. And and this, um, you know, Billy Graham likes this. But when Jesus taught, immediately the folks recognized him as an amazing teacher. They knew that there was something different about this guy. That his teaching was not like anybody that ever heard before. He taught with such authority and such power and, and such wisdom. We call it the greatest sermon that was ever preached, right? And we, we've said for the last couple of weeks that who am I to improve upon anything that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? I'm just hoping to, you know, bring it to street level a little bit, but really just the power in what Jesus said himself as the greatest teacher who ever lived. I was watching, coincidentally, this week. I think sometimes these things that happen in my life are the Lord. I don't know. Um, but I was watching an old interview by Larry King of Billy Graham. I think like 1998. Um, and, and Billy Graham, it's a 45-minute um, interview of Billy Graham on the Larry King live show. And then um, yeah, I was watching it on YouTube. It came up. Maybe somebody posted it, and I ended up watching the whole Larry King interview with Billy Graham. And then, you know, if you watch a YouTube video underneath, there are a bunch of similar videos. Well, underneath was some similar videos of other religious leaders and presidents and um, gurus that, that also have been on um, the Larry King live show. And I clicked on a couple of those and watched for a few minutes, some of them as long as I could, some of them not long at all. Um, and, and, and then when I watched Billy Graham, who so mightily was used of God, there was such a marked difference in the interview and the power and even Larry King, who was an interviewer and who was crass to some of these folks as he interviewed them and, and was, was drilling them. And, and, and even, even Larry King, who has a, an objective, he was so moved by Billy Graham. There was just a different, completely different spirit that was there in the interview. And when it was over, 
Larry King, and I don't remember the exact, you can go watch the, the interview for yourself. There's a couple on there, but the one that I'm, I'm talking about is an extended interview, about 45 minutes, and Billy Graham's in a suit. He's a little bit younger looking in these days. And um, Larry King says, he puts his hand out to shake Billy Graham's hand at the end of the interview, and he says something to the effect of, your faith moves me. I wish I had that faith. I'm encouraged. I'm moved. And you could tell he was genuinely touched. And, and, and he said something to the effect that I envy, I wish I had the, the, the spirit and the faith by which you have. And I'll tell you what, there was just a marked difference in, in watching it. And this is the thing they recognized in Jesus. There's something different about this guy. What was different between Billy Graham and some of those other guys I've seen in those interviews? The spirit of God lived in Billy Graham. The spirit of God lived in Billy Graham. And there was a power that didn't come from his goodness. It came from the spirit of God speaking in him and through him and used him mightily. And, and it was just super evident. And then, um, so we see that. And then um, I just wanted to set that up to get us into chapter 8. Now, when we get to chapter 8, 9 and 10, um, the Bible records for us a series of 10 miracles that Jesus does. Now, we, we've already established Jesus as the greatest teacher. But, you know, lots of people can teach. Lots of people can use wise words. But, but, but can you back them up? Is there, is there something more to your, your, your game than just these eloquent words that you use? And now, um, in order to show us that Jesus was more than just a good teacher, that Jesus was a, a miracle worker, and, and, and the power of the, the miracles of Jesus, um, Matthew is going to begin to record for us 10 miracles of Jesus. Now, one of the things I want to point out in Matthew's gospel for you scholars for you students of the Bible, is that Matthew's gospel is not recorded chronological order. Okay, so, so maybe these, these is not necessarily the way that they went down in a perfect chronological order in the life of Jesus. Some of them are moved around a little bit in the narrative as, the whole, as directed by the Spirit that Matthew records them in more in sections to teach us something. So in, like in Mark's gospel, for example, we get right in the beginning, right in the first chapter, we see some of what we're going to see today. In the Gospels. Now, you guys know, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. We have three of the four that are called the Synoptic Gospels, and those are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John sets, a, sets apart as not one of the Synoptic Gospels because it's, it's written very differently in, in a narrative. But each of the four Gospels, the Holy Spirit is teaching us something about the aspect of Jesus. Now, sometimes people say, oh, the Gospels and the different directions that we look at the story, they're contradictive. Well, they don't contradict. None of them contradict. They give it from a different angle. And they, they actually add more detail and, and, and more insight to what actually happened. But in Matthew's Gospel, um, Matthew is portraying Jesus as a king. In Mark's Gospel, you see Mark portraying Jesus as a servant. And, and, and all the things are recorded in Mark's gospel where Jesus was serving and washing feet and, and girding himself. And these different things where we see Jesus in the aspect of his ministry as a servant. In, in Luke's gospel, we see Jesus in his humanity. And, and Mark's gospel records for us many times, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was tired. Jesus wept. Jesus was um, compassionate or he had emotion and Jesus oftentimes withdrew himself from the disciples and prayed to the father. And we see all of these things in Luke's gospel about the humanity of Jesus. John's gospel, John's gospel starts out uh, gospel of John chapter one, verse one. What does it say? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was. And then in verse 14, it says, and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. 
So John, right in the beginning, he's, he's hitting us with the, the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus in his deity and all the way through God, John's gospel. And you read in John's gospel, I've written so that you might believe and, and so John's gospel is from the aspect of deity. So we see these four characteristics all the way through the Bible of Jesus. His hum, um, in Matthew's gospel, that he's a king. In Mark's gospel, that he's a servant. In Luke's gospel, that he's a human. He, that he's, he's man. And in, in John's gospel, that he's deity or he's God. And, and so in, in Matthew's gospel, in his assignment by the Holy Spirit, and what we find is, is Jesus as king. And what does Matthew's gospel record right in the beginning chapters? The wise men coming. What were the wise men coming to see? A king. Herod sent some guys into Bethlehem to kill. What was, what was, Herod, what was Herod trying to kill? A future king. Okay. Um, on, the, on the cross, they, they put a sign over Jesus' um, cross, and it said, Jesus, the king of the Jews. And so we see this, one of the titles of, of our king of kings and our lord of lords in, um, all the way through Matthew's gospel. Now, one of the things that I want you to see today, okay, so stay with me. Um, I know you guys are thinking tri-tip, but you got lots of time. I know you're thinking abide and food and all those things, but you got lots of time um, before you can get to there. So stay with me for a few minutes. But listen, I, I, I want this chapter, this is what I'm praying for you guys today, for us, for me, that it really has an impact on us in that we see who Jesus really was. Again, we read these stories almost like they're not real or almost like they're fairy tale or almost like they're so removed that, that they don't have the same impact that they should when you read these stories. I mean, if you had a guy today that was doing what Jesus is doing and what we're about to read and you saw it and it was on CNN and NBC and it was going all over, it would have a real impact upon you. But because it's just written in the Bible and it happened 2,000 years ago, I think we lose a little bit of the, the testimony of the power of Jesus Christ and who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and so we, we see Jesus first as a, as a good teacher. And now there's power in the name. The Bible says there is one name under heaven by which men, I love this word, or important word, must be saved. There is one name under heaven by which men must be saved. There is a name that is above every name, the Bible says. The name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. And, and, and there's power, the Bible says, in the name of Jesus. The Bible says the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of you. But, but the testimony of the power of God to touch lives, to change lives, to heal people is now going to be demonstrated specifically by Matthew in purpose. We've seen him teacher. We've seen Jesus sit on a rock and, and talk and teach. And now we're going to see Jesus get out and touch lives and, and heal people and do miracles. So let's look at them. There's 10 of them we're going to get over the next couple of weeks. The first one we find right here in the beginning. And it says, when he had come down from the mountain, what was he doing on the mountain? Given the Sermon on the Mount. And great multitudes followed him. Who followed him? Great multitudes. So Jesus had lots of people following him. And many times in his ministry, he dispersed the crowd. And he, you know, he would do things that he wasn't so much always interested in a big crowd. Jesus was more interested in, in disciples that were serious about following him. And disciples that were, um, you know, real. And Jesus is going to get into that here. And, and sometimes we put an emphasis on drawing a crowd. I heard a pastor say one time, and I love it. And if it's good for us, he said, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather have 10 on fire radical Christians that just want to serve Jesus 
than a thousand nominal Christians that, you know, just want to show up. You know, I'm going to have 10 people. Those 10 people are going to do so much more for Jesus than the thousand nominal Christians. And Jesus was, was not always interested in a crowd. But here, he's, he, by nature, he drew crowds. So great multitude. I don't know what that means. In John chapter 6, the great multitude was 5,000 just men, not counting the women and children. So a big group is following him. And behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, then Jesus put out his hand and touched him. Somebody say touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed immediately as leprosy was cleansed. And so here we have leprosy recorded. Now, leprosy is kind of a, a Bible thing. You see, you hear it a lot in the Bible, right? If you're a Bible folks, if we're, you know, we're, we're Christians, we're Christ followers, you read your Bible, you got to understand the, the idea of leprosy because it's all through the Bible. Okay, leprosy um, is, is very uncommon today. Right. You don't see it very often. When I graduated Bible college, we had this kid that was in Bible college right after me. And um, he I was a teacher in the Bible college, actually, during this season. And he was from Molokai in Hawaii. He lived on the island of Molokai, grew up on Molokai. And he was telling me that on Molokai to this day, we have a anybody know? A leper colony, our leper colony. And, and to this day, there, there's research and a lot of the research that's been done over the years comes from Molokai uh, on leprosy and in the area of leprosy. Leprosy in Jesus's day was um, such a problem because the disease was so highly contagious. You could catch the disease by touch, by breath, by proximity. It was so highly contagious. It was airborne that they had to quarantine all the lepers. And leprosy was such a deadly disease, it would almost be like our AIDS today. There was no cure for leprosy. Leprosy in the Bible, according to, to the, some of the typologies and in the Old Testament, leprosy was a type of sin. And so um, not to say that people that had leprosy were, were sinners and cursed, but what it represents biblically was sin because leprosy was um, just like sin. Leprosy was incurable in itself, uh, by yourself. There's nothing you could do to change or heal your leprosy. There's nothing you can do of your own to heal your sin disease. It was, it was loathsome. It, it, it was isolating. It was emotionally hard and, and draining upon those that had it. And sin is all of those things in your life. The rabbis actually believed in the religious folks, so the scribes and the Pharisees and these bunch that you know we talk about often, we see as we study through the Gospels, of Jesus's day, they said that, you know, that, that if um, one rabbi was quoted saying that if he would not buy an egg from a market that a leper had even walked down the street of. And that if, then when they would see lepers, they would throw rocks at them if, if, if they got, you know, close. Now, the law, the Bible tells us in, in Leviticus chapter 14, you can write that down, read it later. It's the law of the leper in Leviticus 14. And one of the things is when a leper would get within 150 feet of somebody, according to the law of Moses, the Bible says he would have to put his hand over his mustache. I guess God assumes that the men would have mustaches. He would have to put his hand over his mustache and yell, unclean, unclean. Because it was so contagious that within 150 feet. Now you can imagine what the life of a leper would be, right? You walk down the street and even to see another human being, you have to say unclean, unclean, and they would get away from you. And if you saw some religious rabbis and some folks, they might be throwing rocks at you because they believed that you were cursed by God and you were not uh, an individual that was even worthy of anything other than, than just disgrace. Your own family, 
if you were married when you contracted leprosy and you had, had a wonderful wife and a wonderful husband, a wonderful relationship, you had kids, no more relationship with your wife, with your kids, because they could no longer be anywhere near you. They couldn't touch you, completely ostracized. And then what leprosy does is leprosy attacks your nervous system. So oftentimes you see lepers and they're missing digits. They're missing part of their fingers. They're missing flesh. Um, your nose will continue to grow and swell at an abnormal pace and deform. Um, there, there's an odor that comes out of you from the leprosy that they say you could smell for 100 yards away. A leper coming because of the odors of, of, of rotting flesh and the, the deadness. Leprosy, some people, different kinds of leprosy. Some leprosy would kill within a matter of three years. Some people could live with leprosy for, for 20 years, or 30 years, 40 years, long extended periods of time. Some was more quick and would kill folks um, fairly quickly. But, but this loathsome disease of the people that, that Jesus comes to, and this, this guy had never been touched. And he comes to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, um, make me well. Now, I believe every one of us know, and none of us would have a hard time believing, tell me if I'm, if I'm lying, that Jesus can heal you, that Jesus can do miracles. Like, nobody has a problem. He's God, right? Like, he could do whatever he wants. So, God could do a miracle? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he can. No problem believing that. But oftentimes, like the leper here, I think we identify with this, this kind of heart of him because we don't know that if God is willing to, to heal us, does God want to heal us? And, 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 and asking God for healing and asking God to touch us and asking God, whether it's something, you know, like supernaturally healing a sickness that's incurable or whether it's just in another area of our lives, you know, but the Bible says to ask. Jesus told us in the last chapter, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking. The reality was there were thousands of, of lepers in the days of Jesus and they didn't come to Jesus and ask for healing. Why not? Was it because they thought that they weren't worthy? Was it because they thought they weren't deserving? Was it because they thought that, that, that they had to get right before they could come to Jesus? So many people think that. That their sin is too ugly, that Jesus would be grossed out by them. That Jesus wouldn't want to touch them or heal them. And, and like everybody else, that Jesus would react the same way to their, their loathsome disease. And so they didn't come. But this guy comes and he asks and God does heal him and God does touch him and Jesus reaches out. Now, Jesus could have, could have healed him in a lot of different ways. We're going to see on purpose where Jesus is going to, in, the, in these 10 miracles we're going to see over the next three chapters, Jesus is going to do them all different. One guy, he's going to heal um, by touching him and laying hands on him as he heals him. Another guy, he's going to be miles away and speak the word and the guy's going to receive a healing miles away. Jesus is never even going to go near the guy. Another person, Jesus and uh, Peter's mom, Jesus is going to touch her hand and she's going to be healed. Jesus is going to make mud out of the dirt and spit in it and mix it up and put it on a guy's eyes and, and heal his blindness. Another guy, Jesus is going to touch him and heal his blindness. And every time it's different. And every time we see the miracles that Jesus does, there's never a formula. And I think it's kind of on purpose that, that God records it and that Jesus didn't do it the same way every time and, and, and that it's just supernatural, right? Because if it said that, you know, Jesus held his hands on 10 and 2 as he prayed for the people to be healed and he held his head just a little tilt to the left and he used an own voice, oh God, you know, that's how we'd all be praying. You come up for a healing, I'd be, oh Lord, you know, and, and trying to repeat some formula that the Bible lays out for healing or for miracles, but it's always different. And it's never cut and dry, and it's never a, a certain formula for, for the way God did things. But what's powerful here is that Jesus touches this leper, and he didn't need to touch him. What do you think for this leper it would have felt like to feel that human touch? And immediately he's healed. 
he's about to feel a whole lot more human touch because he's going to be able to hug his family for the first time. He's going to be able to, people are not going to run from him when they see him. He's not going to be ostracized anymore. You know, in another place, in another healing, um, Jesus asked the guy a funny question before he healed him. He said, do you want to be made well? Don't you think that's kind of a crazy question? Like the dude was a paralytic from birth. Hadn't walked. And Jesus shows up and the, and the guy's in pretty bad shape. And Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Well, no, I don't want to be made well. I want to be stuck here for the rest of my life. Well, of course I want to be made well. But you know what? The question is not a, not a, not a crazy or funny question at all. It's a real honest question. Do you want to be made well? You know, some people, they, they, they don't want to be healed of their leprosy. They want to wake up in the morning and see which one of their digits have fallen off, you know, what they lost in the night. They, they, they want to, they like the smell of themselves. They, they, they like the, the lifestyle that they live. You know, I say sometimes, if you come to Jesus, Jesus will change your life. And I think people are going to be real encouraged by that. Like, oh yeah, I'm so excited. You know, like that's such a good thing. And, and I think maybe sometimes people hear that and they're like, oh really? He's going to change my life? Well, I don't really know if I want him to change my life. And I don't, I don't you know, for me, I, I, I asked the Lord in my heart when I was, when I was 14 years old in Awana's in eighth grade. I didn't get saved. I didn't get saved until I was 20 years old, but I had an experience with God. I met God at 14. I knew Jesus was, was my savior. And, and, and when it came time to surrender my life to him at 14, I didn't want to be healed of my leprosy. I really didn't want what would happen if I became a Christian because I believed that I would lose some things that I enjoyed doing. I was experimenting at, at 14 years old with a few things and um, I kind of liked it and I, I didn't want to stop doing it. And so I said, yeah, I don't want to go to hell and I, I, I do believe and I've learned a lot and, 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 and yeah, I want Jesus, but I don't want to be healed all my leprosy. I, I kind of like some of it. And, and I didn't get saved. And then I threw away six years of my life and, and from 14 to 20, by the time I was 20, I was a full-blown drug addict with all kinds of garbage and junk going on in my life. And, and, and again, by the grace of God, God gave me a second chance and I'm here today, but you know, would I take that six years back and go back to 14 and, and begin to really radically walk with the Lord from age 14 if I had the choice today? Absolutely. You know, I went through all kinds of garbage that God never intended me to go through and God tried to show up in my life at 14 and, and instead um, he came back or I allowed him back at 20 when I really said, yes, now I want to be healed. I want to be touched of my leprosy. I'm, I, you know, will you make me well and clean? So Jesus touches this leper um, and heals him, which is, which is amazing and powerful, right? And then it says um, in verse 4, it says, And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So in Leviticus 14, again, um, the law of Moses laid out what uh, would happen if, if when a leper was healed. So if you were healed as leprosy, the, uh, the law of Moses said you went to the, to the rabbi, you went to the temple, the priest, and you showed yourself, and he did a test, and he checked you, and you went out, and you came back, and if you were clean, you're clean, then he declared you to be clean of your leprosy. And then there was a, a two birds, there was these two doves in part of the ceremony that God laid out. You'd sacrifice one and take the blood and wash the other one with it, and... You could go and read it for yourself. But, um, but what's amazing is, is that when Jesus sends this guy to the temple to show himself that he's healed of leprosy, it was the first time it had happened in 1,500 years. There had been no one in Israel healed before that point of leprosy. You have to go back to like Naaman. You remember Naaman and Elijah? Pretty cool story. 
um, Second Kings, Second uh, Kings chapter five. You can write that down and read it later. Naaman was a, a a general of the army in Syria. Now, in Second Kings five, in the days of Elijah, um, Syria was a super powerhouse, and their army was great, and their name was great, and there were oftentimes many problems for Israel. Well, there was a girl that was that was Jewish that was in Syria, and she was living in the house of this general in Syria named Naaman. And, and Naaman, Naaman was great in his country, and his king loved him. And his king honored and respected him as a general and a fighter. But the problem was Naaman had leprosy. But this Israeli girl that was living in his house, she tells, the, she tells Naaman, she says, there is a God in Israel, and there is a prophet in Israel who will heal you. And so Naaman goes to the king and says, hey, I have this servant girl in my house. And she says, if I go to Israel, there's a prophet there that will heal me of my leprosy. So the king writes a letter. And gives it to Naaman. And, and Naaman takes it and he gives it to the king of Israel. And the king reads it. And, and the king of Syria wrote, this is Naaman. Um, I've sent him down to you so that he might be healed of his leprosy and sent back to me. And the king of Israel is like, you know, who am I? Am I a God that I can heal your leprosy? And he rents his clothes. And he says, the king of Syria is trying to pick a fight. He knows that I can't do this. And he sent this guy down here. He's a spy. He wants to fight. He wants to go to war. And he's picked a fight with me. And there's, you know, I'm not God. I can't heal his leprosy. And he rent his clothes. Well, Elijah, who was the prophet at the time, for the king to rent his clothes, and Israel was a big deal, and he hears of this national calamity that's going on, Elijah does, and he sends word to the king, and he says, you know, what's going on? Why are you renting your clothes? And, and, and the king tells him of Naaman, and he says, well, send him down here, and God will heal him. And so Naaman is sent to Elijah's house and Naaman goes to Elijah's house and Elijah doesn't even bother to come out of the house. I think there was probably like a good Netflix series he was watching and he was like, yeah, tell, tell Naaman I'm busy, you know, just, just tell him to go dip in the Jordan river seven times and he'll be healed. So Naaman's, uh, Elijah's servant goes out to this general, this superpower dude, and he says, hey, Elijah's busy right now. He's watching Netflix. Um, he says, just go down into the Jordan and dip yourself seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman gets mad. And he says, what am I, a dog? He said, he can't even come out of his house to tell me himself. He said, are there not amazing great rivers in Syria that I can go dunk myself in? Why do I need to dunk myself? If you guys have seen it, that nasty Jordan River, muddy river, it's cold, it's muddy. We do baptisms in it and, and, and it's, it's nothing fancy about the Jordan River at all. And he's like, we have real rivers in Syria. And he gets and he starts to take off. Well, his servant chases Naaman down and he says, Come on, master. He says, if, if the guy had given you some amazing task to do, you know, go on top of the mountain, kill the dragon, you know, you would have done it. But because he told you to dip in the Jordan River seven times, you're offended and you're not going to do it. Just try it. So Naaman agrees and Naaman goes to the Jordan and he dips seven times in the Jordan River and he comes up and he's healed of his leprosy. Coincidentally, what would have happened if Naaman dipped six times and went home? <laughs> no healing leprosy for the rest of his life god tells you to dip seven times dip seven times god tells you to tap your arrows on the ground tap them a bunch so naaman goes back to elijah and he says he says there is a god of israel and i'm going to serve that god the rest of my life he said elijah he said when i go home my king serves a pagan god and i'm required to be by his side and during these 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 times i have to bow down when he bows down to this pagan god will you ask your god will you let your god know that i i i love and only and i serve him only 
and I worship him only, but I have to bow down. And can I have grace? Can I have an excuse when I bow down? And Elijah says, go, go your way. You have your peace. So Elijah says, yeah, that's okay. Go back. We know now. So then he offers Elijah a bunch of money that he brought with him as a, as a thank you. And Elijah says, I don't want your money. Go home. So, so he takes off. He won't, Elijah won't accept any of his money. You guys remember Gehazi? Gehazi is Elijah's um, servant. Gehazi is the guy in the cool story where Elijah's there and, and that army shows up and that army's going to attack Israel. And Elijah's freaking out. And, or, or, or Gehazi's like completely freaking out because there's a big, huge army there. And Elijah's like, relax, dude. What's the problem? Oh, what do you mean what's the problem? You can't see the army? And Elijah says, oh, God, open his eyes. And then God opens uh, Gehazi's eyes and he can see the armies of the Lord, the angel armies of the Lord. And surrounding this enemy army is where we get that term, the angel armies of the Lord. That's Gehazi. Well, Gehazi, he's having a bad day, I think. So he gets and he starts running after Naaman. And he catches up with Naaman and he says, hey, Naaman, uh, I know Elijah didn't want that money, but uh, my master, he changed his mind. So he said for you to give me all that money. So Naaman gives him the money and the stuff, and he turns around and he heads back for the house. It's so funny. Elijah's standing at the door. Like, come on, Gehazi, you're a moron. This is Elijah. Like, this is the guy who, you know, the, the, his neighbor is cutting wood with an axe, and the head of the handle of the axe breaks, and the axe head lands in the water. And the guy starts whining, I borrowed that axe. It's not even mine. And Elijah, Elijah makes the axe head float to the top of the water. He tells the guy, quit whining, go get your axe head. Like, this is Elijah, right? So Elijah's waiting at the door. And he says, Gehazi, where'd you go? Classic, like, like a 14-year-old boy. He says, nowhere. I didn't go nowhere. And he says, then how come you have, and names a specific amount of money and everything, exactly to the penny what he received from, from Naaman. And then, unfortunately, he said, that leprosy that God cleansed from Naaman, he's now put upon you and your family. And and from that point on, uh, Gehazi was stricken with leprosy and, and not good. But Naaman um, would have been the last recorded healing of leprosy. That was all to tell you that. All right. <laughs> Just a cool story. Anyways, chap- verse number five. It says, now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him. Now, real quick, Jesus entered Capernaum. Now, we're in the area, the north of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is where Jesus spent spent a lot of time. It was kind of like his home base. Jesus was constantly going back to Capernaum and, and a good reason for it. Peter's house was there. Peter's mother-in-law's house was there. Um, there was just kind of an area where he called a lot of his fishermen there around the Sea of Galilee, a beautiful place, a really nice place there. And, and you see Capernaum a lot in the Bible. It's just a place there around the Sea of Galilee that Jesus spent a lot of time. In verse six, the centurion came saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am, I am, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to this one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who, who followed him, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the son of the kingdom will be cast out 
into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So we have this centurion soldier. Now, let me tell you something, first of all, about a centurion soldier. A centurion soldier was what? He was Roman. He was an occupier. He was um, somebody who was oppressive to Israel. It was somebody that the Jews would have hated because they didn't like the presence of Rome there in Israel. And they, were, um, they lost the right of capital punishment, which was a huge blow to the Jews. They believe there's a prophecy that, which is, uh, uh, there is a prophecy that says that, um, that the scepter of Israel will not be cut off until Messiah comes. And when they lost the right to capital punishment that the Romans took away from them in their occupation, it was devastating to them because they believed that that was part of the scepter that would be lost. But what the, what the deal was is that Messiah had already come. They just missed him. So, um, but anyway, so this Gentile centurion who, who is somebody who's hated by the Jews. I think the next closest person they would have hated would have been the author of this, this book, Matthew, because he was a Jew who was a tax collector, who, who they also saw as a traitor. He collected taxes for the Romans, so they didn't like the tax collectors. They didn't like the, the, the Romans. But the other interesting thing about this centurion soldier is, is he was a very respected person. So the centurion was his rank in the Roman army. So he would have been in charge. A centurion could have been in charge from anywhere between 100 and 1,000 men. So he would have had a, a unit that, that was under him that he was in charge of. He was a wealthy man. He was a respected man. He was a powerful man. A Roman centurion, in order to become a centurion, I forget what the number is, but you had to have so many confirmed kills in battle. So, you know, a confirmed kill. So he had seen lots of death. He proved himself in battle in order to become a centurion. Now, everywhere in the Bible where there's a mention of a centurion soldier, what's interesting is it's always in a good light. The Bible doesn't have one negative thing to say about the Roman centurion soldiers. And they were men of war. But yet every time they're men of integrity. And they're, they're men of, 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 of compliment, as the Bible compliments every one of them. You know, I think of our own military and some of the military men that, that I was a part of, you know, pastoring and, and raising up and, and being a part of. And I often liken them to centurion soldiers. And many of them are, are well-trained and they're men of integrity and um, just, just good people. And so here we have this centurion soldier. Now, what's other interesting thing we know about this centurion soldier is that he was unusually compassionate and kind. He's got a servant who's ill and rather than just get rid of him because he's about success and he's about conquering and victory and he don't have time for that stuff. Get him out and bring somebody else in. Instead, he cares about his um, his servant in his house. We also know that this particular centurion, he built a synagogue for the Jews, donated some money towards a building project they had going on. Um, if any of you want to be like this centurion soldier and donate some money to a building project your local church has going on. Just let me know. So Jesus heals his servant, a servant. And, the, and the, in this particular healing, he says, okay, Jesus says, okay, I'm on my way. And the guy says, Jesus, you don't need to come to the house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. So amazing faith. And it says that Jesus marveled. Kind of a trip for Jesus to marvel, huh? Not like as in he didn't already know, right? He's God. Now, how much of his deity, how much of his, his, his supernatural powers did he um, kenosis, we talked about this concept already, right? In uh, Colossians chapter 2, he empties himself, he kenosis. So, but he marvels at this guy's faith. He's impressed 
by this guy's faith. The other time the Bible records that Jesus marvels is in Mark chapter 6. And that time it says he marvels at the unbelief of the Jews. Because the rabbis, the scribes, the Pharisees, they had the word of God. They had the prophets. They had the teachings. And and yet they missed so much of it. And Jesus marveled at their unbelief and their disbelief. And now here he's marveling at the faith of a Gentile believer. Talk about a slap in the face for some of those religious folks. He, he says I, he marveled at his faith because the guy understood that there was power in the word of God. There's power in the word of God. Amen? Amen. Somebody say there's power in the word. Oh, you guys are good today. Power! The word is dunamis. Power! I don't have any power, but, um, but the word of God has some power, some dunamis power. Where we get our word dynamite from. So the, the power is in the word of God. And this guy understands that. You know, God is the only one who can um, create from nothing, right? I'm trying to think of the, of the Hebrew word. I know it, but it's, it's leaving me right now. But anyways, um, bara, he can bara, he can create from nothing. Now I could give you some, some wood and some nails and a hammer and you could make me a pulpit. I can't give you an idea and you say pulpit exists and it exists, right? Create from nothing. Only God can create from nothing. There's no science. There's no nothing that can create from nothing. That's how we know God exists for to the most part, because nothing can come from nothing. So there had to be something outside of nothing, out of time and space continuum that, that was not bound by any of those things, which was God who's eternal in the heavens, who created the heavens and the earth. But when God created the heavens and the earth, how did he create them? With what material? He spoke the word and the universe was was born. Come on, y'all talk about power. (laughs) That's a God that's worth serving right there. All right. I don't want to hear no more nonsense from y'all. That's enough right there. That's a God that's worth serving. So Jesus speaks the word. And then he tells us that we already, we already quoted it today. John one, one, Jesus is the word. And and now look, we, we focus on here in our church, a really big emphasis upon the word of God, because it's the word of God that Jesus is the word. And it's, it's reading the word. It's Genesis to revelation. You read the whole Bible. You'll never get off into left field. You'll never have weird doctrine. You'll never follow false prophets. If you know the word of God and it's the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. And because Calvary Chapel, that's why today I'm teaching Matthew chapter eight. You come back next week. I'm going to teach Matthew chapter nine. You come back the next week. We're going to teach Matthew chapter 10 and we're going to go through the whole Bible and we're going to, we're going to try to do our best to understand the heart of God through his word. And and, and so, but here's the problem that's happened over the years is that we get so into really studying and teaching the word. What, what is the, you know, first thing I taught you guys when I got here day one was what? Read your Bible and pray every day. We say it almost every week, right? So important in our lives, but here's what I'm afraid of. And here's what I want to caution us of. Listen, we, we have to understand, and we talked about it last week, the word of God is Jesus. The word of God is alive. It's living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. We don't want to become father, son, and holy word. We, we want to make sure that, that, that the reason why we read our Bible and pray every day is to find Jesus, right? It's because Jesus is in the word. If it's not relational, if you're reading and your discipline of going through it, and sometimes it can be a little laborious. I get it. I think it's good to do that. Maybe some days you should just read one verse and look for Jesus in it. But, but it's, it's, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If we become people that it's about the Bible, and I made a statement last week, and you know, some people might, eyebrows might rise a little bit, but listen, the Bible is not a book about the Bible. The Bible is not a book of morals. 
the Bible is not a standard of right and wrong. Like, what? What are you talking about? Well, they bumped his head. Listen, you'll find all of those things in the Bible, but, that, but you're going to fail miserably. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. If you're going to the Bible to, to make it a set of standards of, of right and wrong, the Bible is about Jesus. And if you don't meet and find and love and serve and hear from and commune and relate with Jesus as you read the Bible, you're missing the point. And then if you know Jesus, he's going to put some morals on your heart. And you're not going to have to worry about what's right and wrong and following left and right and do and don't. You're just going to follow Jesus and Jesus is naturally going to put you on those paths. You're going to want to serve him. You're going to want to do works. You're going to want to please him. You're going to want to do things that are pleasing to the heart of your father and your Lord. And, and, and listen, the word of God is powerful in that it's Jesus. Amen. All right. Don't look at the clock because we are just about done. The clock's lying. Anyways, it's wrong. You guys are like, I'm going to come back tonight and you're going to preach over today. We did do communion. That took a long time. Um, we're going to be quick. All right, let's look at verse 14. It says, now when Jesus, good thing for you guys, I had all these mother-in-law jokes I won't be able to tell. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife, verse 14, his mother lying sick with a fever. And he touched her and, he, and the fever left her and she arose and served them. Now, I, I don't know, I guess Jesus had a, had a bone to pick with Peter, why he healed his mother-in-law. You know, you're, you're thinking that Jesus loved Peter, he would have just left his mother-in-law sick. Um, but he didn't, so Jesus heals, mo- mo- you know, you know, there's a reason why they write songs about mother-in-laws, right? Mother-in-law, mother-in-law. You got to be my age or older to know that one. You could, you could probably YouTube it for you youngsters. Um, all right, so Jesus goes to Peter's house. Just quick point. Peter was married. You have to be married to have a mother-in-law. Um, you can tell your Catholic friends that the first pope was married. I don't know about the rest of them, but the first one was definitely married. If that's, if that's a succession of popes, somehow he missed the, the call of God not to be married because he was married. He had a mother-in-law. Jesus healed her. And then she arose and served them. In verse 15, it says, when evening had come, they brought him many who were demon possessed. And with the word, he healed all who were sick. Now, listen, Jesus heals all. Now, part of what's happening right here, Jesus, or, or Matthew records for us, or Jesus did it intentionally, or, um, but to the Jews, there were things that were people that were outcasts. There were people that um, they didn't respect. Do you realize the Jews hated the Samaritans? The Samaritans were half Jews, right? You familiar with John chapter four, Jesus goes through Samaria. Jews would never go through Samaria. It was a straight line from where they were going to go through Samaria to where they wanted to get. They'd go miles out of their way so they didn't have to go into Samaria because they hated the Samaritans. The Jews were, were very prideful people and almost to some extent, by our definition, racist. And, and, and the, the Pharisees were quoted as standing on the street corners and praying, I thank God that I'm not a, a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. And, and, and they, this is what the, 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 they would pray and they didn't have a lot of, um, respect for any of them. And, 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 and they would throw rocks at lepers because they were in that class as well. And here we see Jesus specifically healing first a leper, an outcast of society. And Jesus not only heals him, but he touches him in the healing. Guy had never been touched. And Jesus makes a point that he does love these people that, that, that the rabbis would, would throw rocks at. The next person that Jesus heals in our story is a Gentile centurion soldier who was oppressing his people and they hated him. 
They resented him for it. And so Jesus makes a point. He touches a centurion who's a Gentile. And the third person that Jesus touches in the story is who? It's Peter's mother-in-law, and she was a woman, I'm assuming. <laughs> All right. I'd be good. I'd be good, Daddy. I'd be good. Um, I, I'm father of the year this, this week, by the way. Lydia um, is in California. She, they had a Mother's Day trip with my mom and my sister's plan, and they couldn't do it around Mother's Day, so they did it this weekend. So Thursday, she flew to California, and uh, my mom picked her up at the airport at LAX, and she spent the day with my mom, and then they drove to Palm Springs Thursday night, and they got a rental house there, and my sisters and my aunt met her up there, and, they, and my, my nieces and nephews and all the girls in my family, which is a big, huge family, and I think it was like 15 of them there, 20 of them there, and they um, spent the weekend in Palm Springs, so it's just me and the boys in the Gabrielle home this weekend. So I dropped Lydia off early Thursday, and then Friday, I don't know what I was doing Thursday night, I always stay up too late when Lydia's gone, and um, so I was, I, it was Friday morning, and Gabrielle was sleeping in bed with me, and I wake up Friday morning, and it was probably about 7.30, 7.15, 7.30-ish, and she's not in bed. Not to worry, you know, I always keep my door closed when, when we go to bed, you know, but Lydia will always hear you. Like, Lydia, like, boom, she jumps up when the baby just turns. But I don't hear her, I sleep through it, so I wake up, and she's not there. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I know I keep my door closed at night, so I, I'm not too worried, right? But I, I get up, I start looking around the room, I can't find her. So for whatever reason, I forgot to close the bathroom door in my bedroom. So I go in the bathroom. She's got the toilet brush in her hand, and she's got a big smile on her face. There's water all over the floor, the toilet, her. I think the last person that used it didn't flush it. And she's, like, all happy, like, I cleaned in the toilet, Daddy. You know, like, she thought she was getting a good deed, you know, and... I'm like, uh-oh. So I told Lydia what happened, and she's like, why do you tell me these things? These things are better off that I, that I don't know these things. So father of the year. Yeah. All right. Then, oh, yeah, so Jesus healed the three. Quick, quick couple things, guys. We, we do definitely got to be done. I, I think I'm going way over now. But the example that Jesus set, right? And it's important for us as a community, as a church, and I think for us as Christians, right, it's, it's, it's a good point that, that Jesus loves all people. You know, one of, one of Billy Graham's most famous sermons was Billy Graham did a lot of work with um, the, the Reverend Dr. King, and, and, and him and, and, and Dr. King did a lot of work together, and one of the things that Billy Graham was instrumental with as a preacher in those days in the 50s and 60s and, um, was he was a big part of, um, of working with with. Um, helping Dr. King and making sure that his crusades were integrated and that everybody was treated equally and every, all the blacks and everybody was welcome. And, and in those days, in the middle of all that stuff that was going on, Billy Graham preached a famous sermon where he said that God is not for white people and Jesus is not for black people, that Jesus died for the whole world and that God is for, that Jesus is for all people. And listen, Jesus is for all people. We got to understand that. We got to believe that. We got to know that. We got to have a heart that whether you're a woman, whether you're a Gentile or a dog or a or a, a a centurion soldier or a leper. And when lepers come in our building, when centurion soldiers come in our building, when you know people that that we don't you know necessarily get or understand that Jesus loves those folks, He died for those folks, and that Jesus is for all people. And we have to be a community of people. We have to be a church that's, that loves, lives, loves, and looks like Jesus. And Jesus would absolutely love those folks. He would absolutely welcome those folks. And again, that has to be our hardest Christians, either here in our church, there in your community, there in your work, that, that Jesus is for all people. And Jesus, Jesus purposely set an example. And those that He chose to heal in this section in a row was, was a was 
again, would have been radical for the, for the rabbis or for the disciples, those 12 who would have followed him every day. They would have been catching all this stuff that maybe we miss, the impact of, of, of Jesus touching these people in this story. I so wish we could get to the next thing, but we're going to have to go. Let's stand. We're not going to do a closing song today. We normally do. So um, let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Jesus, we thank you that you love all people. We thank you, Jesus, that you're for all people. And Lord, I pray for us that as your people, Jesus, that we would, we would love all people, that we would follow your example, God, that you would use us to reach the hearts. And we thank you that, that Jesus, you're a God that we can follow. You're a God who does miracles. You're a God who speaks healings and universes into existence. And God, we can follow that. We can believe in that. We can, we can place our hope and our eternity in a God who does miracles and, and, and who speaks miracles into existence and, and says things into our lives, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. And so, God, we thank you. God, we give you glory and honor today. We pray for our abide tonight. I pray for each person who's in our service right now, God, that's come for whatever reason. Lord, I, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them and they would hear from you and just speak clearly and meet the needs that they've come with today. I pray that we'd leave here encouraged in Jesus and his power and his love and that, that we would know your mighty love for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you back here at five.